So today is a reality check. Today is one of those moments where, with, with, what, with most of what Jesus says and most of what Scripture tells us when we look in a mirror and we lay ourselves against it, it's a reality check. But today is a real, legitimate reality check. And I think it's a perfect one for us, for what happens with the Pharisees is exactly what we need. I used to sing in a southern gospel group, which sang like that right there. I'd say things like, God ain't never had a grandchild, only a child will do. Right? You know what I mean? Southern gospel, right? And that was before I hurt my, my vocal cords. I sang first tenor. My pastor thought it was hilarious to tell me how good I was good at the girls' part. But we've seen this song. And, and today, when, we, when I think about that song, I kind of laugh at it. I'm like, man, there was nothing great theological about that song, but it was fun, and, and, and we would dance across the stage and we sang and stuff, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But then when I look at this passage of Scripture, I think it's one of the most telling songs I've ever sang. When I see what Jesus has to say here, to the Pharisees and to the Israelite people, to the Jews. And I think it's something we need to hear in our lives today that God does not have grandchildren. You do not get grandfathered into the kingdom just because of someone else. It's not only that, it's also this lifelong debate that we, he- we see in psychology and then you hear it in schools of this concept of are we inherently good or are we naturally inherently bad? Or, or the concept they fight about nature versus nurture in people's development. What has caused them to be which direction? Nature versus nurture. And so Jesus is going to attack this concept. Now, he didn't write a psychology paper on it like I had to. If he had, I'd have copied his and tried to get away with it. Pleasures might be wrong, but I'd ask for forgiveness. But Jesus is going to lay down the nature of us, but he's also going to show his nurture. Now let's not forget, the time is here where Jesus is, they are looking to kill him. They are not looking to follow him. They do not love him. In verse 30 we read that some people actually believed in him, but then we found out that, well, there's not necessarily real worship belief, it's just kind of enamored with him. Because when he mentions who he is, at the end of this chapter, hint, hint, verse 59 says this, so they picked up stones to throw at him. <laughs> Whoops. It doesn't sound like a real believer to me. Sounds like a lot of us that claim to be believers, but we only like certain parts of the scripture. And we throw stones at the rest of it. That's not part of this message, though. Um, but let's get in, let's read these 20 verses. I guess it's 21, actually. And then we'll break them down and see what God has to say for us. The verses on the PowerPoint are not... They're going to be broken up, so they won't be on the screen right now, but they will be as we go through the message. Because yours truly decided to delete something off his computer this morning and chose the wrong file, which was our PowerPoint file for today. So I just went back and quickly put the verses back in as we're going to go through them. Yeah, it's brilliant, right? John chapter 8. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if, you were, if, you were, if, you're, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. 
I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than your father Abraham who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glory myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that, um, if, if I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced in the, the, that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Growing hostility, more anger, more confusion, the people want to kill him. May Jesus stand forth for us to see, and may his spirit help us understand today. Let's dive right in. There's too many verses for us to conjecture about it all. Verse 39. So they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. This is where we start, right here. These Israelite people sound a lot like we do in the church today, of going, well, I go to my grandma's church. Well, my granddaddy was a pastor. Well, I call such and such my home church. They say, well, we are the line of Abraham. Jesus says, so what? You don't act like Abraham. You don't worship like Abraham did. You don't look like Abraham looked. You're not following the same God Abraham was following. See, these descendants of Abraham, these Jews took this major pride and, and, and confidence regarding their salvation based on the physical descendants of Abraham. But the problem is that is insufficient and idolatry. See, Jesus right now is telling them that he has been, what he has been telling them from the beginning is, so what? You still need a Savior. You still need the promised Messiah. And as we wrap through this, we see, we can come right back to this verse, verse 39, because he said that Abraham saw him and rejoiced in it. And so he's saying to them, Abraham needed me too. He's saying, don't forget it. Verse 40 says, but now... 
You seek to kill me. This is Jesus still talking. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. I want to, this verse is, is, is twisted a little bit if you're not careful. He's, he, is, he is saying that, he's not saying that Abraham didn't tell the truth from word from God. He's saying that he's telling the truth. You're not acting like Abraham. Abraham didn't try to kill me. Abraham didn't turn on me. Okay, that's what that says. Um, I didn't realize until I was reading it to somebody this week that they were like, whoa, he's calling out Abraham? I'm like, oh, no, what do you mean? And So I want to make sure we're clear on that point. He's telling them, you're not acting like Abraham because he didn't try to kill me. See, God made this covenant with Abraham. Let's, not, let's, let's just go back for a minute about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. God made a covenant with Abraham. You're going to have descendants. Remember, he's an old man. Finally, he, he has one child. And God says, no, look at the stars. Your people are going to be like the stars in heaven. They're going to be outnumber it. And so the Jewish nation comes from that. And this is a great deal of respect for Abraham. As a matter of fact, still today, if you, see, if you speak to a devout Jew, they will call themselves the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a typical, at least the ones I know and have been around in, in this country. I don't know about all around the world, but my guess is that it's going to be similar. But they really identify to this, even to the point of worship. And see, here he's saying, you're worshiping Abraham who you don't even really know. See, the reason you can worship Abraham, or they, or they should have worshipped Abraham, was more than lineage. is because in that same lineage, the Messiah came. But that's not what they're doing here. See, they have faith in Abraham because he was a physical father of their nation, when their faith should have been in the Messiah who came from that same line. Jesus says, Abraham was not looking. He was looking for me, and you're not. And therefore, he's saying, Abraham actually is not your father. That would be super offensive to say to a Jew, even today. Well, based on how you live and follow the law, you're not based in the line of Abraham. They would be pretty angry. That's what he's saying today. It's the same concept when I have a conversation with somebody and I say, they tell me these answers. Well, I'm good. And I, I go to such and such church, you know, when I can. And I go, tell me, about your, tell me how you know Jesus. Well, one time, I, tell me how you know Jesus. Because we got to know Jesus. See, there's this idea that they were, they were basing their life on a bloodline instead of a faith line that produced a real bloodline, a bloodline of righteousness that came down off a cross. You guys understand what I'm saying here? They're not seeing Jesus. They're seeing this physical body. They don't understand that this heritage isn't getting them anywhere. They need what was produced because of that heritage. He's telling them, this is not what Abraham did. He's implying in context here that Abraham was obedient and faithful man, and he was a hearer of divine revelation, and he was looking to seek the obedience and follow the glory of God and to see it out there. He's, he's saying, guys, you don't do this. Even the law of Abraham that you do follow is for your own glory. We've seen him say this over and over again. It's just reiterations here. But doubting the Lord, loving the law like they do, wanting to hold to this idea, they begin to attack. He said, you are doing the works your fathers did. Jesus says, I'm sorry, I meant to finish this. You're doing the works your father did. He's saying, you're acting just like this lineage that has got you in captivity for a long time, like the kings who led us astray from God in the first place, didn't listen to the prophets. Now you don't know how to seek the Messiah. You're acting like them, not Abraham. And then they do this. They get angry and they say, to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. 
We have one Father, even God. Now, Jesus didn't say anything about sexual immorality. Jesus isn't talking at all about actual bloodline and birth. So I want you to understand what this is. This is you and I in a conversation where we're bothered. We don't have a defense. So we start throwing daggers at people. They're going, your parents weren't even married when you were born. At least we're pure. You were born of immorality. See, all they're doing here is trying to take shots at Jesus. They're saying, you're a disgrace and we're going to discredit you right now based on this one point. See, even to this point where it was widely accepted by most followers, legit followers, of who Mary was and the concept of the Immaculate Conception and her being born, him, him being born because of God, true believers were already understanding this. But these guys are like, wait a minute, you're not clean? Your mom was a teenager that had you out of wedlock. I love this because it's one of the greatest applications that Jesus ever gives us on how to handle other people in the world, and he doesn't talk about it at all. (laughs) That's the example. Because y'all know me. I can walk away from an argument like that. (laughs) Well, maybe not. Because you jab me, I might come back with a hook. I'm, I'm, I'm reactionary like that sometimes. See, Jesus, he says... Okay, he takes it and he just keeps teaching. He just keeps being gracious and loving and teaching. He says in verse 42, And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. And I came from God and I am here. And I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. He doesn't even go into the attack. He just goes right back to his point. I got a bloodline that's greater than this. He's saying my father is God. Claiming his deity to be God and be from God to gain the people of his own possession for the praise and the glory of God. He's saying, I'm here to do his work, not my own. And he asks them a question and he answers his own question. Why do you not understand what I say? And he says, well, it's because you can't bear to hear my word. Anybody ever, and I don't, I, I don't I've seen the movie when I was younger. Um, it's, it's probably inappropriate. I'm sure it's got... A lot of language in it that I wouldn't watch now, but I know it's Tom Cruise, and I don't know the name of the movie. But when I read this the other day, I know it's a, it's a court-martial hearing of this uh, military people, and he yells at one point, You can't handle the truth! Few good men. Jesus said that way before. Tom, Tom, I think it's Tom Cruise, am I right? I don't even know. I'm not seeing, I don't, Jack Nicholson says that in the movie? Okay. So he's on trial or something, right? Okay. So like I said, I've probably seen it at some point, but that was a long time ago. But that's what I think. This is what he says to him. He says, you, can't, you don't hear me because you can't handle it. Because you don't like that it's not going to go your way. You guys, you want to be this big fish syndrome. You want to be the, the ruler and the creator of your own law and your own rule. And you want glory from it. You can't handle the truth of who the Father is. Because you don't know Him. He says, let me drop some truth on you. He says, let me hit you with who you really are. Let me tell you what it's really about here. You want the truth? Here it comes. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's not standing the truth. Because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He speaks out of the core of who he really is. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He says, you want to kill me? Abraham's true descendants would never want to kill me. They'd be looking for me and they'd understand who I am. They'd have the anticipation of the prophets on their lips. They'd be looking at me and going, you're fulfilling the prophecies. We want to see you because we know Abraham. The deal is, folks, it doesn't matter if you're from Abraham's line or Sally's beauty supply line. It's a store, you know. Okay. Um, It doesn't matter where you come from or where you're going to. All of us in our hearts, in our nature, are... Children of the sin produced by the devil. We don't get to claim, well, I'm pretty good. We don't get to say, well, people are inherently good. They make good choices inherently. I dare you, I dare you to take something from a one-year-old and tell me that's a good child. Oh, they're inherently good. They're just throwing a fit and kicking the floor and smashing their face into 40 pieces because they wanted a lollipop. Because they're inherently good. Catch a 10-year-old in a lie and tell me they're inherently good. Catch a 40-year-old stealing from your business and tell me they're inherently good. Now, Jesus goes to the greatest depth of explaining who the devil is to them. He says, he's a murderer. I don't think anyone here has murdered anybody. And he goes, then he goes, he's also a liar. And then we all have to raise our hands. There's no, differenti- There's no difference here. He's the father of these lies. He's a killer from the beginning. He's killed our relationship with God the Father. That's what that means. It's saying in the Garden of Eden, he killed us with sin. And he lies to us to tell us it's okay. He lies to us to say we're fine. He's saying, but you guys better understand that Satan is real. And he is your, he is your father. But, but, we're going to go through this and Jesus is going to say, but wait a minute. Because of grace, he can be your enemy. See, here's the starting point where Jesus is starting to be wanting to be seen as the Savior and telling people to believe in him. Really understand that I'm separate from who you are. He's saying there's a real devil out there. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, he said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Wow, that's our Father by nature. See, I don't care whether you're saved at 15, 25, 55, or 85. We better understand that this is where we came from, and that's why grace is so amazing, and this is who we are without it. Guys, this is why we worship Jesus right here. Because, this is, because we need to know that Romans 3.23 says, For all sin and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are the children of this devil. And he is a devourer of souls. And he is ruining. And this is the reason that we ought to recognize grace in such a way that makes us desire to worship. That we should, be, we should worship Jesus because he's the one who rescued us and we should be thankful. We are saved and we should be grateful. We are redeemed and we should be fighting for holiness and godliness because of it. We should sing about grace. We should talk about grace. We should love with grace. We should show mercy. And no matter what, we shouldn't be able to sit still when bad things are happening. We shouldn't turn a blind eye to sin. We should always have a reason for joy. Guys, because he has given us a chance to not be the sons of the devil, but for grace. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which, in which you once walked. 
following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Guess who that is? That's that same lion. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Did you hear that all that was in past tense? Because we were, but for grace. See, Jesus here is showing that we are, there is two identities here, two opposite ends of the spectrum. They're presented here as complete uh, uh, um, um, diversions from one another. Jesus is a life giver and a true witness, and the devil is the greatest murderer and liar of all time. John 10.10, 10, we'll get to a few weeks after, Christmas, or after Easter, says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I came <coughs> that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's a major difference. That's two different ball fields, folks. Verse 45. Still talking about why they can't understand it. Still saying, why don't you understand? Because you don't, can't handle the truth. It says, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. That sounds so counterintuitive to us today. You would think that the opposite would be true. If someone tells us the truth, it's easier to believe. That's not the case. See, he's warning the Pharisees of something here. And when I read this passage and I've studied this passage, it's a warning to me. And so I think it's probably a warning to you and to the church in America and to the church in the world and to anyone who wants to call themselves a believer. We have a major warning here. And I pray that it's not the truth for us. But he's saying you don't believe because you can't hear it. And he's saying you can't hear it because you always think it's for somebody else. See, he's saying, he's saying you can't hear it and you can't believe it because you don't even believe it's who your father is. Because if you did, you'd still be convicted over sins, even the little tiny, tiny ones. And that conviction would lead us to brokenness and repentance and a lifestyle of repenting for God's forgiveness in our lives to pour out upon us. See, that's what he's saying here. But yet we become numb to the thousands of sins we commit each day. And as a result, I'm going to read exactly what I wrote, said last week. As a result of us becoming numb... We lose the fact that Jesus is the epicenter and the largest, most epic piece of our life. We forget to sing about grace. We forget that it's because of Him. We, we fall right back in to being okay with being a sinner. We're deceived into thinking we're okay and good enough, which means we never actually had the Father within us. And let me tell you something. Let me be real clear. There's no such thing as good enough. So our prayer is that we hear spiritually and we believe truth and it's not about this physical part of us that does doubt and does resist. And I can tell you from my standpoint here, standing here with degrees that mean nothing if I don't know Jesus, with education and books in the office and books at home and I can read them all and they mean nothing without Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, even I at times go, wait a minute, this story's a little crazy. And it's okay. Because then I turn and I go, you gotta, you got to work on my faith, God. I'm struggling today, God. And I go right back to that moment of repentance. And I see the change that God has made. See, we've got to be physically, not physically focused with doubt and resistance, but spiritually focused to believe. Verse 46 says, which one of you convicts me of sin if I tell you the truth? Why do you not believe me? This is a bold. He's like, I'm, a, I'm without sin. If you think I am, tell me what it is. I'm innocent. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is just reiteration. He's saying, you don't hear it because you are his opponent. Last night, there was a really great UFC fight. Well, it should have been a great UFC fight. Pettis and Dos Santos, two bad dudes. I mean, bad dudes. About this big, but they are bad dudes. And I thought for sure that I'm going to get up and I'm going to turn on the computer and I'm going to look at the sports page and it's going to tell me that Pettis beat the daylights out of Dos Santos because that dude is ridiculous. And I heard part of their press conference the other day. And of course, these guys that are boxers and UFC fighters, they're, you know, they're, they're cocky and they're arrogant and they, they put on shows. And they might not really be. You might meet them in public. They're the greatest guys in the world. Who knows? But they have to put on a show. They're showmen. But Pettis stood up after Dos Santos gave his interview and he said, do you want to respond to what he said? His words were, oh, did he speak? I didn't hear him. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was funny. It was tongue-in-cheek. They weren't like hating each other. They were just messing around as rivals. But they were opposing camps, see? They're ready to fight. See, we're opposing camps from Jesus. And that's our nature. Our nature is not to be and hear and understand God. See, because what happens is, though we might claim to know Him, we might claim to have a descendants of and they claim to be of Abraham, see, they didn't ever have real grace because what happens is, when you have grace, everything changes and you're able to hear and understand the Word of God. So they ask Him an honest question in verse 48. The Jews said to Him, are you not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? Are we not right? And you have a demon? It's just a more clustered insult. That's all it is. They can't come up with anything else. They can't actually question him. They can't get to what they're trying to get to. They can't get him riled up. It's like, hey, multidimensional insults. We're going to throw a combination. By the way, the end of that fight is Dos Santos beat the daylights out of Pettis. <laughs> surprise, surprise. See, they're angry and they've got nothing to do besides throw insults. This has nothing to do with exactly what's going on in this situation. But as I read this, I stood in the mirror and I said, don't be this guy. Guys, don't be this guy. Don't be the person that just because you can't come up with an argument or you don't know where you're standing on a situation that you throw insults at people. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory, for there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. See, according to Jewish law, and just custom in the time, and kings especially, and any kind of rulers, they had messengers. And if my messenger was um, Derek, and I sent him to your house with a message, you know the phrase, right? Don't kill the messenger, right? Here's where it comes from. If I didn't like the message, I wasn't going to kill the messenger. I was going to send him with a message to tell you, I don't like it. Now, if I really didn't like it, I might kill the messenger probably. It came from somewhere, right? So, but the deal is that rejection of a message is not rejecting the messenger. It's rejecting the source of the message. Does that make, does that make sense or do I confuse us? So it's, it's tantamount here to him, them saying, you're not rejecting me. And they understood it. Jesus said, you didn't reject me. 
You're rejecting the Father. You're rejecting the one you claim to be following. See, Jesus' motive here is just simply seeking the Father's glory. And he says, because you don't understand that, because you don't heed my word, and because you can't get it, he's going to have to judge you. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death, everlasting life. Guys, John 3.16, right? The gospel in one verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So he who keeps my word. Remember we talked about the word abides in, is grafted in it, and and soaks into the DNA of who Jesus is by his words and really sits in that. They delight in it. They live in it. They live forever. Psalm 1, beautiful example of this idea of life and death. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of waters that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. He has life. He has real life. The rest of that chapter says this, though. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked is a true death sentence. It is a death sentence. No longer a question for the Jews here. They've heard what Jesus said, and now they're like, verse 52, they respond to him with such kindness. Now we know that you have a demon. For Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Ding, ding, ding. They might get it. Oh, no, they don't. Because they say, oh, are you? Because he died. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? See, they're so deaf and they're so blind to all the teachings that Jesus has been telling them for so long already. He is far superior, for he is the only thing that is a plan of salvation. He is the only place in which it comes from. He is greater than Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Moses and the prophets, and the minor prophets especially. Um, but he's greater than all of them. He's greater than all of them. And they don't get it. See, it's a great question though. Because it's the question that we need. When we recognize that we're sinners, then we need to go, well, who really are you? How do I really get to see you? Can I really know you? Jesus gives them this beautiful, beautiful answer. I glorify, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's the Father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. Jesus feels his mission is not self-appointed and self-exalting, but they do think it is. He's not craving recognition. He's simply trying to obey the Father. In fact, it is Jesus' Father, the very one whom the Jews call their God, who brings this honor and glory to Jesus. Verse 55, it says, But you have not known him, but I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not, but I do know him, and I keep his word. He's telling a very tough truth. This is that concept of tough love. Well, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Well, then. Push them in their cart to hell. Help them get there. Well, you might break a kid's spirit if you discipline them. And they're inherently evil. Especially kids. (laughs) Just kidding. 
Just kidding. But we have this idea that we need to just love and massage people's egos and make them feel good and it'll be okay. Eventually they'll have their best life now. Um, I shouldn't have said that part. Delete that part. Um, but here Jesus is telling the hard truth that I'm not like you. I'm not seeking my own desires. I'm here for one reason. Verse 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. By the way, guys, this, this makes me crazy right here. I love this passage. I love this one little verse that almost says nothing if you're not careful. <laughs> okay? He says, Abraham was looking for me and he rejoiced in the fact that, that he knew I was coming. He understood why he was chosen. He understood the heritage. He was looking. Wait a minute. He saw it and was glad. Wait a minute. He's claiming here that Abraham was a witness to the incarnation of Christ himself and how he responded to Jesus' birth. That's an amazing concept. I don't know how that works, but I believe it because Jesus said it. I don't know if it's a view from heaven that God said, all right, everybody, all the saints of old, watch, my son's coming. I don't know. I don't know. But boy, it's cool. I love it. You know, now they really think he's got a demon. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? By the way, 50 um, was considered, we had a conversation right before service that growing up and being mature is not a good thing because at 50, some of y'all would already have to be there. Um, 50 was just a number that Jews, remember they didn't live quite as long as we do that, at this point than they did and they didn't and they did before. And it's craziness. Um, <laughs> but 50 was this age of maturity. Age of fulfillment in life, you're where you're supposed to be. I don't know how that came about in the Jewish custom. I can't really find a good, but that's what that means. But they're also saying, wait a minute, you're only like 33, 32, maybe 35. You're somewhere in here. Like how, what are you talking about? Which doesn't even really make that much sense since Abraham was like somewhere around 3,000 years before. <laughs> Give or take. If you're a young earther. For some of you in here, who knows when, but it was a long, long time. No, we know it was about 3,000 years. So it doesn't even make sense that they would even ask this question, right? It doesn't seem to make sense. The only thing they know about Abraham is what they studied in the law, we're supposed to have studied in the law. But he makes this claim to see that he has seen Abraham. And here it is. Here is the crux of who Jesus is. Here's what we have to learn about who Jesus is. We see the physical man. He's right there in front of him. And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Boom! He's like dropping the big bomb. He is referencing his own deity here. By the way, first time. This is the first time he does it like this. He's claimed it. We saw it just earlier in this chapter. But this is the first time he's like, doggone it. I am him. I am and you better understand that. He's referencing the burning bush where Moses approached this bush that was burning and yet wasn't consumed. And he hears a voice saying, take off your sandals. This is holy ground for I am. It's translated that way because it's a lost word. Most of us say it's the word Yahweh. It might be. But for, what, for the most part, it's a lost word. So we can say, I am. And you know what that means? It is, I am all. I am all-encompassing. I am creator and sovereign. I am Elohim. I am the Father. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I scope of all time is me. I created this. I am the existence. I am the holder of it all. And Jesus stands in front of them for the first time and says, I am. You better get it. 
Because that's what we better get. There's a man right now in Australia named um, David, uh, uh, John David Allen, I think is his name, who's got thousands of people coming to these conferences at this public hall that he has rented out. Coming to these conferences where he's doing leadership talks and Bible talks and all these things, and he no longer identifies himself as David, David, John David Allen. He is Jesus. But he's not. There was but one. I am terrified to see that people are following this man from all over the world and falling into this trap that he's been building for a long time. There was but one. And if nothing else tells me that this other man sure can't be Jesus, by the way, he's Jesus because he has dreams about his past life and that's how he knows he was Jesus and he's talked about his birth, he talks about his death and he's back now, he's reincarnated because the world needs him again. Okay? The problem is he contradicts this word right here. His teachings and his sayings, they don't contradict, they don't, they don't line up with what God said. They contradict what Jesus said when he was on this earth for real. The other one makes it real simple. He's not Jewish. That's a simple one. Guys, but one time. And those, tr- those believers in verse 30, those who said, oh, yes, we believe, are the same ones who at this point says they picked up stones to throw at him. See, the punishment for blasphemy was stoning. They should have looked and thrown them at one another. But Jesus hid himself and left the temple area. For his appointed destiny, we know what it was. It was the cross, it was crucifixion, not stoning, and his time had not yet come. Because what I want us to notice today from this passage of Scripture is very clear and very simple. I want us to be like the Pharisees. What? Right? I want us to be like the Pharisees in one way. When they heard God's word, when they heard Jesus speak, they could not remain neutral. Neither can you. And neither can I. We cannot be neutral on Jesus. See, I pray right now that we are single-minded. That we accept this one single thing and we respond to Christ's claims. That we would throw our yes at Him. That whatever he asks us to do, we would shout with hands in the air, Yes, God! Like the prophet, where am I? Send me, God. Here I am, I mean, send me. That today, we would fully believe in him as Savior and Lord and Redeemer and Rescuer. We would hurl ourselves at his feet in submission. That we would hear him speaking the needs to our heart for ourselves for repentance, for others to care and love on, that we would react to who this Jesus is and we'd be fully satisfied in that relationship with Him through Jesus, through through the Holy Spirit's living within us and through the, the relationship we have through the Father because of the Son's cross, not because of everything else that goes on in this world, not because of the things that are outside that are distracting, not because of the fears and the doubts and the things we think are hard. Look, we prayed for some hard things this morning. We prayed for some things that are terrifying. I mean, heck, the word itself, cancer, is terrifying. God didn't have to give us himself, let alone deal with these things. And yet he does. May we not be neutral with what we know about Jesus. As a matter of fact, when you walk out of here today, you you are not neutral because you are given this truth about Jesus. So you are either fully accepting or you are fully rejecting. I tell my kids all the time, part of the truth is a lie. Agree? 
part of the truth, part of the truth is a lie. So part rejection of anything in this word, anything, anything, any part of this word you rejected, you are rejecting the real Jesus for one that you want in your mind. So you walk out of here today, you cannot remain neutral. See, it's hard to preach because it's preaching backwards. And it's preaching forward on hard, difficult to handle situations. But I want you to know that I speak it, hopefully like Jesus in love. Guys, if you know Christ today, I pray that you abide in Christ and your life shows it. You remain in his word, you delight in it, and you delight in that truth. We get it down. When we get it down, Pat, the joy that it brings, the ease that it brings, the comfort that it brings, the delight that it brings is beyond all things. I pray that we love Jesus more and more every day. And if you don't, if you don't know him today, it is your day. Because you might not get another one.